been praised. Yeah. If you don't have one of these, we tried to pass one to everyone. I'll be passing out things during this series for us to study and for us to learn and to grow. Thank you to Jason for passing them out to me. If you have not received one, raise your hand. If there's some more, Jason, we'll just pass those out. Before my mind evades me, I'd like to take the time. Robert and I and our family would like to take the time to say a heartfelt thank you to all of the wonderful gifts, all of the wonderful words, all of the wonderful shows and acts of kindness that have been shown to our family during this month. This is truly one of the most loving churches I've ever seen in my life. And I'm so glad to be here. each one of you for thought and prayer and deed. We say thank you. You can continue to pray just because if I start talking, those who feel the unction to pray, continue to pray. It takes all of us. If you can, if you're able, stand with me. As we read the word of our God. We're going to be reading several scriptures, but we're going to start with these, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 21 through 25, if they'll get that pulled up and we'll begin to read. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 21 through 25. They're pulling up the slides. Guys, if you could pull up, pull up the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. We got a talented team back there. They're working and they're scrambling, I guess. God's turned the service upside down. They're trying to find out where they are, too. <laughs> like me. I'll read it to you while they're finding it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 21 through 25. And when you have it, you can just hop in with me when they put it on the screen. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Hmm. The parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together. Let's continue to read. I'm going to continue to read. They're, they're getting it together back there. But God has put the body together. And I'm going to, um, I want to read just a little bit farther down. Uh, I'm going to read it in my, my vernacular because they, they, everybody's wrecked right now. God has been moving in this place, and that's okay. Uh, verse, verse 23, it's, it says this, verse 24, while our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combi combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Now I'm going to ask our media team to pull up 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, and we're going to read and we're going to continue on for today in our teaching. I'll just go ahead and read it for time's sake. And in the church, 
God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also who having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those the gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. That's important for us today. We're going to, you may be seated in the presence of God. God, speak to us, teach us. In Jesus' name. All of us, it takes all of us for the body to function properly. When I was young, I didn't seem to notice a lot of the parts of my body <coughs> because when I woke up in the morning, everything worked the way it was supposed to. But it's amazing as you get just a little bit older, every now and then, something to remind you how important it is when you go to use it and it doesn't work anymore like it used to. It's easy and you, we take for granted just standing up on our feet and jumping until every, every now and then you stand up and something pops that's not supposed to pop and you didn't even know you had a joint that popped. But every part of that is important to us and God is letting you know that we are important in the body of Christ and as we study the gifts God is talking to us this morning. He's speaking to us about a symbiotic system that he has set up for the church. What does symbiotic mean? Symbiotic is, is a term, uh, the opposite of what you would call parasitic. In something parasitic, that means that there is a host and there is a parasite, meaning that when there is a host, the host is supplying blood and nourishment, and there's a one-way relationship. In other words, you keep getting, 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 but you're never giving. And if you keep a relationship like that, at some point in time, the body is going to fail because it keeps giving more than it's receiving. And because it's giving more than it's receiving, it's going to eventually lose capacity to function and fail. Many churches in many places across the country, that's why a lot of them fail, uh, to be honest, because there are many parasitic relationships in the church. People come to church for all the right and wrong reasons. They're not bad reasons, but they're wrong. They come because they like the music. They come because they like other things. They come because they like the children's ministry. And if they'll be honest, it has become a parasitic relationship. I was speaking with Sister Warfield uh, the other day, and she said something. When Sister Warf speaks, I listen. I listen to every word she says, and I listen very intently. She has a lot of wisdom, and she was talking to me about this book I gave you guys that I am a church member, and I, I listen to the book all the time. And she looked back at chapter 3, and she talked about that chapter, and I went back and I read that chapter when she said it to me. I went back and I read it again. As many times as I read it, I read it again, and it began to talk about how it's important in the body of Christ if we're to grow to give up our personal preferences and our personal desires because the church can't grow when everybody's trying to have their way. The church can't grow if we can only play one type of music. The church can't grow if we only have one type of function or service. The church can't grow if everybody wants the programs to happen the way they want because that's what's called a parasitic culture in which everybody says, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. We have to do this this way. We got to do this way. We've always done this for 40 years on Sunday like this. And this is the Sunday that this person does this. And if this person don't do this, I'm going to be mad because that's what we do. And that's why what we've always done. And what they're really saying is it's not about me. I'm not willing to move a change with God. I'm, I'm sold to tradition. And it's a parasitic relationship. And they will suck 
your membership in your church drive. That doesn't happen here, and I'm thankful to God for it. But when you get into a symbiotic relationship, a symbiotic relationship is similar to plankton. Plankton sits on a whale, and it helps the whale while the whale helps it. What do, I, what do you mean by that? The, what the, the plankton need the food that, and the bacteria that sit on the whale, so it sits on the whale and eats the bacteria, thereby feeding the plankton and also keeping the whale clean. In other words, it's a symbiotic relationship, which means that when they are joined together, both of them benefit from the presence of the other. That's how the church is supposed to be, that everybody in the church is supposed to benefit from the presence of the other. Why? Because each of us has been given a gift, whether you know it or not. You have a spiritual gift if you are a saved believer in Christ, and God has given you a gift, and it is designed not for you, but it is designed for the other person, which means that your gift is designed to be a blessing to the body of Christ. Your gift is not for you. If you like to do it, that's great. If it makes you feel good when you do it, that's great. But God didn't give it to you so you would like it. He gave it to you so you would be useful. And this is something that we often don't realize in the Bible uh, and in the body of Christ, that God not only gets us for what we do do, but he also is sometimes displeased for the things that we don't do. I remember, and this is about talents. Jesus was talking about talents, not the type of talent that we would think is a gifting, but he was talking about money. And he said, uh, a man said, I'm going and I'm coming back. None of this is where I intended to go, but this is where the Holy Spirit's leading me. And he says, I'm going to come back. And he gave, he gave uh, three, uh, three servants three different amounts of money. He said he gave it to them according to their ability. In other words, this one couldn't handle a lot of money, so he gave this one a little. And he gave this one a little bit more. And when he returned, two of them said, look, Master, I used what you gave me. I took a risk, but at least I brought you more. In other words, I'm not a parasite. I'm not here just to get a check. I'm not just here to soak up all this wonderful worship we had this morning, but I had something I want to give, and I don't, since you're blessing me, I want to be a blessing to you. But then there was one. He thought he had done well. He came back, and he said, I gave you one talent. How much you got? He said, one talent. He said, one talent. He said, yeah, I, I knew you were hard, and so... I knew you were hard, so I didn't take the time to invest or do anything with what you gave me. I just decided to sit on it until you got back. <laughs> and you would think that the master would say, well, at least I didn't lose any money. But he looks at him and says, you wicked and lazy and slothful servant. You could have at least put my money in the bank so I could have gained some interest, but you made excuses for why. I'm not trying to hear your excuses for why. You didn't take what I gave you and make something of it. And God is challenging the church today saying, why are you sticking your talent in the ground? Why are you sticking your proverbial gift in the ground and the church and the body of Christ in the macro and micro sense needs it, the church in the local area and the church at large, but you're sitting on your gift and one day God's going to come back and believers are going to sit before a throne and God's going to say, what did you do with the gift that I gave you? And so we're going to talk about four things today and I want you to see if you can be identified in these gifts. There are many gifts in the body of Christ and we're going to go through all of them so it's going to take several weeks to do this. Uh, Y'all ready? We're going to learn today. Amen. You can bring a pencil. I want you to take this home, and I want you to study this. The first one is administration. Everybody say administration. 
This is also called the gift of government. This is also called the gift of leadership in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. You will see it mentioned the gift of government or the gift of leadership or the gift of administration. It comes from a Greek word uh, that is kubernesis, which means steering government or administration. This is an empowerment gift. This gift is a serving gift. The, it, this is an empowerment by the spirit to lead. In other words, God has, is giving you a supernatural ability to put things together and to lead. This is important for us to know because this is a leading and a servant leadership gift that this should be done with the spirit of humility. It should be uh, somebody who is knowing that their service and responsible stewardship of servant leadership will make a difference in the body of Christ. These people tend to make the church run smoother and free of burdens of the leader. We don't know that they're here while they're here, but when they're gone, we miss them. Why? Because church won't start on time, or these types of things won't get done, or these types of things won't get handed out. Nothing will be accomplished because you need some people that have an administrative mindset to make things flow and to make things function. People who have this have a gift for leadership. If you just put your hand up for a second, you can tell you're in a warm church. You know why? Because somebody has the gift of governing and administration, and they paid the water and the heat bill. And because they did that, the church is flowing, functioning, and you never think about the heat of the air unless it's too hot or too cold for you. But guess what? The church is running because somebody is functioning in their what? Gift. If you have something that's going or something that's being organized or happening, you can tell that there's somebody with the gift of administration. I know they're talented and I know they're blessed, but guess what? The body of Christ is not blessed in this church by the praise team just on happenstance. The praise team has a whole system wherewith they have songs uploaded by the month. They study those songs they're supposed to all month long, and they listen to those songs. The praise team is laughing, and they listen to those. They're organized in an orderly fashion. We don't just get up and seeing what comes to the top of our, our mind. This church is completely organized. If we're talking about giftings, guess what you're going to hear about? You're going to hear about something in the music that's similar. Not only are you going to hear something in the music that's similar, but you're also going to hear something in the words of encouragement that's in line with that. Why? Because somebody is administrating that. Somebody is organizing that to make sure that the saints get fed properly and we're just not flying by the seat of our pants. It's good when things like this morning happen and God just takes over and, and he just does what he does and we allow him to do what he does but there are times that we need to be in order 1 Corinthians 14 40 says this it says let things be done decently and in order Things have there has to be structure. There has to be things that are done in the church in an orderly way. We can't just be haphazard because the way we conduct ourselves also talks about and gives glory to God. If we late all the time starting, which we're not, guess what? That puts a bad light on God. If we come up here and we're ill-prepared, if I'm ill-prepared for the word or the praise team is ill-prepared or the musicians have to practice or, or the things aren't on the screen the way they need to, that shows our lack of trying to be proficient and give God the best we can. But when people walk in and they see excellence and they see little things like music playing, they see little things like these things that are on the screen and all this stuff, it takes work to put all this stuff there. People are working behind the scenes to make that happen, and administration can make that happen. If we want to give to the poor, if we want to do something downtown, and we want to go and, and, and just bless some people, and we want to give some uh, some food to some people who need it, and that's one of the things I want to work on, is being able to 
just bless the community and do some things for community. It takes somebody to organize those things. God is pleased with organization. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, I know we're moving, but if you don't mind, I'm going to take my time this morning. Is that okay with everybody? We got our worship in, so we're going to get our word in today. <laughs> Let's read Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. We read this in Bible study, so somebody's going to get a double portion of this today. Let's read. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would be not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God to water to wait on tables. Now stop. I'm going to say this because it bears repeating. You happen to have somebody who loves to visit people and visit the sick and, and, and do all those things. But what if I told you that was not my job? What if I told you that was your job? What if I told you that when you're sick and the pastor don't come to see you and you got a chip on your shoulder, that's not the pastor's fault because people in the church are supposed to be going to see the sick. But when we don't have a symbiotic relationship, we give all the jobs that we're supposed to be doing to the pastor and go about our day-to-day -day life. I don't take the time to go see or pray for the sick, so I just say the pastor should come. And when the pastor don't show up, I get mad. Can you prove that in the Bible? Yeah, because this is important. This is important. This is in in this day the the widows are being neglected. They're not being fed. They the, they're they're persecuted, and this is a new church, and they have over five thousand people or three thousand plus people in the church, and widows are not being getting fed because some of them speak Greek, some of the Jews speak Greek. Some of them speak Hebrew, and they're having an organizational issue that they can't get the food done, and so people are not getting fed. And so what do they do? They do what all church members do. Come to the pastors and say, I don't want to do anything. Y'all do everything. And they say, hey, we, we're, this is not happening. Food is not happening. Let's see how their pastors respond. Let's, let's, let's see what they say. Verse 2 says this. So the 12 gathered, read it with me. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. What are they saying? That's not my job. There's a difference between importance and assignment. There are a lot of things in the church that are important. But like the, but we read before, the I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. If the hand is trying to walk, you're going to have a hard time getting forward. If the foot is trying, you're trying to eat with your foot, you're going to have a hard time eating, aren't you? I know this is tough for us to hear because in, in our, our world, we think that the pastor is Superman and the pastor can do everything. We got loving people here. Y'all don't, don't do that. I'm not doing this to fuss. I'm just doing this to teach. This is a teaching moment because when you know better, you what? You do better. And churches all around the country, they're always coming and knocking on the pastor's door to do something. But let me ask you a question. If we have 100 members in the church and 10% of them are sick, and I spend all week long seeing sick people, who does this? So that means because I'm doing somebody else's job, and that's not happening here, praise God, I wouldn't be able to feed everybody else, which means that the church at large suffers because everybody's not doing what they would. 
Look at your neighbor and say it's tight, but it's right. I'm, I'm, ta I'm attacking you as a tradition. I know it's not going to be favored, but it's, we're going to tell the truth, and we're going to get better, and here we're going to be taught. This is important. That doesn't mean pastors shouldn't go seek sick people. I love to do that. I love to visit with people. I'm praying for people all the time. But what I am saying is that most churches are not growing because everything is being dumped on the head of one person, and everybody else is not doing their job. If you are upset because the pastor's not going to see the sick, you know what that means. That's your spiritual gift. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Let's keep reading. <laughs> Let's read. It will what? It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over where? To them. Delegation. That's government. You see that in Exodus chapter 18, when you see Moses in the book of Exodus, Moses is about to kill himself. If go back and write that down, write down Exodus 18 and go back and read it. Moses is about to kill himself because he's trying to be all things to all people. And his father-in-law pulls him to the side and said, Moses, what's wrong with you? He said, but the people need me. He said, not if you're dead. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, Moses. You can't solve everybody's problem. This is what you do. You go find you some capable men, those that can handle tens, put them over tens, those that can handle 50 put them over there. Those who can handle hundreds, put them over those. Those who can handle thousands, put them over there. And if all those people can't solve the problem and it's something that all those people can't get to, then it goes to you. And Moses heeded his father-in-law. That's the gift of administration. That's the symbiotic relationship where God has empowered us all to take care of things that the other people don't take care of. Are y'all still with me? Let, let's start it among among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's important for you see how well the church could function. I want to keep reading. Go to verse five. This pleased the whole group. Uh, now, I want to read something. Did they get that? They chose Stephen. A man full of faith. Go back to that verse 6. That's good. They chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch and converts of the Jew Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles. Let's keep going. Who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now stop. Let's see what happens when you don't put all the burden on the pastors across America and everybody does their part. Let's see what happens. Let's read verse 7. So the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Even people who didn't believe in Jesus were converted because the church is supposed to be built off of a symbiotic relationship. Everybody's supposed to be doing their what? Part. If this makes you mad, it's because you're guilty. But I hope it doesn't make you mad. <laughs> I hope it encourages you to say, hey, I didn't know. If you don't know, you don't what? No. And that's, what, that's the importance of teaching. And we'll talk about the teaching gift because a lot of people are not doing right just because they haven't been taught right. We just done stuff that I, we've been taught in churches all our life and nobody's ever challenged it or even read because we were too lazy to read and see if that's really what we were supposed to be doing. We just did it because we were taught to what? Do it. And we've always done it that way. way. But as we begin to grow, we need to know that it takes more than one person to grow a church. It takes what? Everybody. Y'all see that? 
Now, let's look at the benefactors of people who can be benefited by this. Benefactors of those people, that next slide, please, that can be benefactor by somebody who has an administrative gift is pastoral and leadership teams. I can't do everything. There are certain things that I don't even know that's going on that Robin's got going on. There are certain things that, that are happening here that Brother Dave's doing. I have no idea what they're happening. And when I came, when I first got here, the first thing I did was made a habit. Every time somebody would go do me, I'd say, what, Brother Dave? Go see Brother Dave. What am I saying? I'm not going to get bogged down in that. There's somebody here for that. Let that person take care of that. Let this person take care of that. If it's something to do with you, you're probably going to go to Terry. I'm going to send you to Terry. Why? It's not that I don't care. It's not that it's not important, but that's not my what? assignment. My assignment is to break down the word of God and to teach other people. And as we're taught, we all what? Grow. And we function in our gifts. And then the church grows effectively. Is this helping somebody? The body of Christ at large and locally are, are benefited from these things. The behavior, if you want to know if you have, have uh, this gift, these people are generally very organized. They love to put together policies and procedures. They're always trying to put together, we need to organize this. We need to put policies and procedures and plans. And they're generally more practical and conservative uh, than, than visionary. So sometimes you have a little conflict between a pastor because nine times out of ten, a pastor is kind of visionary. And, and the pastor says, let's walk out on faith and do something bold. And the administration person said, no, let's not. Let's plan. <laughs> And so sometimes, well, that's one of the stand parts or the blind spots of somebody who has got that administrative gift because sometimes they can become addicted to procedure and you can gridlock the church because you have a thousand meetings about nothing. You ever been in church like that? Where you meet about meeting and nothing ever really gets done because you can't even cook anything or do anything because you got to have a meeting about it? You can't paint a wall because... We got to have a, a meeting about what color the wall is going to be so everybody can get their opinion. And it's 60 opinions, but you only have one wall and nothing ever gets done. That's why you need administrative people to be able to pull those things together and to serve. Everybody say serve. Serve the people. But if not careful, if you're not careful with this gift, they can become controlling and give you too much red tape and they're policy driven versus purpose and people driven. My wife is a very administrative person. I drive my wife nuts because if we start at 11, if we start at 12 o'clock or 11 o'clock, my wife is freaking out. At 11.55, we need to move. I say, it's 11.55. We got a few more minutes. We need to be here. And I, I don't move. And there, there's a tug of war there, but we're serving each other. She keeps me from being late, and I keep her from being too anxious about being on time. <laughs> we work together. And, and, and when, we, when we tug just the right way and serve each other, things come together. But you appreciate people like Robin because Terry's standing on the stage and, and somebody has to tell them back there, make sure at 5 till you hit that, hit, that, uh, hit that button so we'll do the countdown. Why? Because as people are coming in that are coming into your ministry, some of them are paying attention to whether or not you're honest. And if you say you start at 11 and you always start at 11.15, that means you're not very honest. If you say we started at 11 and people still get together and the praise seems not there, that means I was dishonest and I lied about my starting time. And if I can't trust you in the small stuff, I can't trust you in the what? Large stuff. So administrative people are very important. I really do want to get out, and I want us to put together some pools, and I want to put together a bunch of money, and I want to be able to go out into the middle of Royal Oak and just say, hey, we just we don't want anything from the community. We want to bless the community. Here's some food, and we'll pray for you guys and do that. But I can't organize it. I need some administrative people with administrative gift that can organize those things and put those things to what? Together. The best places to plug in, deacon ministry. 
uh, church administration, small group ministry leadership, uh, policy and pro uh, procedures, anything that, uh, anything that needs leadership, anything that needs somebody to stand up and do something. If you're not that person that has to be in the background, but you're an assertive person and want to take charge, you probably want to be in some kind of administrative position, but just do it with humility. And I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, and you see them there. How do I know that? One, does this organization bother you? When you see things that are disorganized and they're not put together properly, does it get on your nerves? You can often call you can often find out what you're called to by finding out what gets on your nerves. I knew that I was called to be a musician. You know why? Because choirs would sound bad and everybody else would be standing up there and sounding good and in my ears sound like somebody screeching a chalkboard. Why? Because God had called me to solve a what? Problem. And whatever problem he's called you to solve, that generally makes you unrestless and makes you restless and uneasy. And you, do you plan every trip? Like, th this is something me and Robin do. And she, I finally broke her. I finally won one, but I've been working for 20 years to win. I'm the type of guy that will say, hey, let's call Sister Pat and, and get her to come over here. Get in the car and let's go. The reason we never do that is because my wife said, mm-mm, we, we got to have some plans. Uh, where we going and how much we going to, what we going to do and where we going and where's the hotel room? What if we don't get a hotel room? And it wasn't b before too long. One day I told my wife, we just, I'm not planning. We going, we got to take you somewhere. We going and we're going to get a hotel. Watch, all this is going to work out. And as soon as we got there, all the hotels everywhere were booked up and she was looking at me like, mm-hmm. But I found a hotel because I was not going to be proved wrong. <laughs> But it takes balance. You see how this helps all of us to help one another? So we're going to go ahead and go to the other one. I'm going to be kind of pro professorial today. The Lord's helped us out and gave us a huge spiritual and emotional relief. So we got that out. I'm not trying to preach you happy today. I'm trying to teach you holy. All right. Let's go to uh, number two. What's number two? Everybody say mercy. Mercy. Uh, th that's in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. It says, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. It is giving then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. When you're showing people mercy, those are the people who show mercy to people who are in a bad position, and they ain't got to tell people to remind them that I showed you mercy when you were down. These people have a, have a supernatural gift. Uh, oftentimes, you'll hear people like Mother Teresa. People hear that name all the time. She had a gift of mercy. She saw children in Calcutta that were dying and helpless, and it bothered her. Um, Sister McLaughlin, whether she knows it or not, has that gift. She's always talking about missions is about souls, and she's always concerned about people in other places that need, and every time I turn, she's going to let me know if somebody's sick, if somebody does this or that. She has the gift of mercy. She can't see people suffering and somebody not do something about it. That's a gift for her, and she's worked for years in that gifting to go see what? Sick people, and it concerns her, and if nobody's doing it, it's going to what? Bother her. Because God has given her a supernatural gift. And you need people like Sister McLaughlin and Sister Wharf and Sister Stella and people that will let you know this person is sick and this person is there. Because if you don't have those, then people go unattended and nobody what? No. We don't want anybody to fall through the cracks. So those people are very important. Mercy is a spiritual ability to show compassion and love, wishing uh, love in the body of Christ. It goes beyond being moved emotionally to being moved physically to meet the needs of others. And it is sympathy and empathy beyond the norm. Some people, they, they'll give you a little empathy. Uh, they'll say, you'll say, how you doing today? And they'll tell you, you're going through, and they'll kind of give a half smile. Oh, that's a shame. I'll be praying for you. They don't really care. 
They, they, they're not built for that. And that's what most people are. But people who are empathetic and God has given them the supernatural gift of mercy, when people are suffering, they don't generally tend to be at ease until there's a resolution to their what? Suffering. These are people that need to be on your hospital and your sick and shut-in ministries. This is overwhelming compassion for the afflicted. Matthew 9 and 36, we see this, and this is a different word uh, in the Greek that they use when Jesus talks about it. But in Matthew 9 and 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, um, he, he had compassion on them because they were, let's read that together. Let's read together. Ready, read. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion literally means that his stomach was flipping and turning in knots. It was bothering him that bad that he saw people that needed to be helped and they couldn't be helped. There's somebody who has the gift of mercy that may be sitting on the gift of mercy. And, and while your administrative team can't get to people, that'd be nice. I told Brother Dave, it won't be long uh, as the Lord blesses. We're probably going to add another phone to the church and it'll be a cell phone. And that cell phone will go directly. It'll be the pastoral cell phone. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to rotate it among the leadership team. So if somebody's sick, you call not that person, but you call that phone. And if it's Brother Dave's week, Brother Dave's going to come pray. Brother Dave's going to see the sick. Brother Dave's, if it's Robin's week, Robin's going to do this. If it's my week, we'll do that. If it's Brother Dave's week, they're going to do that. Why? Because we all need to be functioning in our gift for the body of Christ to what? Function. The way it needs to be done. So if you pick it up and it's not the pastor, don't ask what the pastor's number is because they're not going to give it to you. <laughs> but call me anyway. I, I'm, I'm a little quirky. I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of like that enabler because I love people and I really want to know what's going on with you and I'm concerned. I got that mercy type gift. And so I'm a little different. You, you get to be spoiled. But in order for the church to grow, we need to be able to bless everybody. And I'm stopping you if I don't let you do your what? Gift. So I have to sometimes catch myself to not do things that other people can what? Do. Because I'm a fixer and I say, this needs to be fixed. I'm going to go ahead and what? fix it. But if I go ahead and fix it, somebody, that's their growth opportunity. So as a leader, you have to step back and say, no, let me step back and let this person do that. They might not do it the way I like it done. They may even mess it up, but guess what? You have to start what? Somewhere. Is this helping anybody? This is exciting to me. This, um, James verse 2, verse 14 through 7, we just talked about how you put faith into action. Mercy, people with the gift of mercy put faith into action. They don't just say, I'm going to pray for you. Uh, they go see people and they go take care of people and that's because they got that gift. Uh, benefactors, who can benefit from people who have mercy? People who are going through a very tough time and a very sorrowful situation. I have a sister um, that actually lives in Detroit and I was amazed at how empathetic she was that while everybody was going through at a recent funeral that we were at, she grabbed everybody's hand. She patted everybody on the back. She doesn't even realize how empathetic she is, but she was just so comforting and consoling to people. Those type of people are the people that need to be helping people when they're going what? Through. Those are, that's important for people to do. They're very empathetic, concerned about over other, other, other people. You can read these things, so I'm not going to read them all to you. But sometimes this is important with our blind spot that you need to know if you have the gift of mercy. We're going to read that together. It's in our, in our notes, so let's read that if you're keeping up. Saving people from consequences too early, which may cripple them in the future. People with the gift of mercy often want to jump in and save people that don't need to be saved. Oftentimes you have kids that never grow up. You know why? Because you always jump in and you save them too fast. 
So when God gives you a gift, you also must know how to use that gift or that tool that people with the gift of mercy need to be able to say, I got the gift of mercy, but I need the Holy Spirit's wisdom when to apply it because sometimes the best love is tough love. Amen? Has anybody found themselves yet in these? This, this, is, this is really cool. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, several questions. Number one, are you highly sensitive to the suffering of others? When other people are going through or other people are sick, does it really bother you all the time? You can't get it off your mind until somebody's taking care of that person. You probably have the gift of mercy. Do you find yourself troubled as you see other people in a tough situation? Are you unable to just walk away and get, continue about your day? Do you feel an overwhelming need to comfort those who are hurting? If so, you're probably operating in the gift of mercy. Many people in the church are operating in spiritual gifts, but they don't even know that they're operating in them, so they're not using them to the fullest capacity because they haven't honed and harnessed those gifts. Amen? Let's go to, uh, go to chapter 3, of uh, uh, number 3. Everybody say hospitality. This is the gift of the South. <laughs> I'm from the South. Hospitality. Romans 12, verse 13. Pull that up for me, guys. We're going to teach today. I'm not worried about how my words sound. I'm not worried about this or that. I just want us to be taught. I want to feed you. Is that okay today? But Romans chapter 12, verse 13 says this. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice what? hospitality. Hospitality is a welcoming gift. It is an ability to make someone feel at ease and at peace within one's home. Those with this gift have a higher tolerance for company. Some people, they'll entertain you, but after a while, they start doing this. In other words, it's time for you to go home now. <laughs> I, we, we didn't talk enough. We ain't got nothing to talk about. I'll see you next. But the people who have the gift of hospitality you can stay there all night long, and they'll never leave. My wife has a bedtime. I'll use us as an example. My wife, by 9 o'clock, my wife's going to start doing this. She'll she, she entertain you. I stay up all night long, and, and that's fine. And so we have a balance because if not, I'd never send anybody home because I have that what? Gift of hospitality. I have this gift. Everybody come in. If you've ever been in our house, you'll, you'll hear me say, you at home. Get what you want to get. Do what you want. If you need something, do it. That's just my natural, natural bend, and that's how I was raised. But people like that are necessary in, in the body of Christ because there are some people, you don't realize that, they're not bothered by visitors, but they're energized by serving people and entertaining guests. I'm a little bit different. I've got some introversion in me. You wouldn't believe that. I can get quiet and like to get back to myself and not be bothered, believe it or not. But I do get energized when I see people. Come on over. Hang out. Let's talk. Let's have a good time. If that's you, you probably have a gift of hospitality. Who can benefit from that? People who don't have family locally. Sometimes you'd be surprised how many people in the holiday seasons don't have family. And, and suicide rates go up in the middle of the holiday season. Why? Because people are lonely and they don't have anybody. But the people of hospitality can be a blessing because they'll notice those people and say, hey, these people don't have anything. I'm doing something in my house. You come on over. You're what? Family. And like I told you last week, sometimes your church family can be closer to you than your kin. So it's important in the body of Christ that we have these people. These people are very always wanting to throw parties, always wanting to do get-togethers, always wanting to do eating. They'll eat you till you can't move no more, and they got to take you out of the house in a crane. But that's, that's their gift. And when they work in those, that's her right there. I can tell you. 
That's one right there. If she don't know it, I, I'll tell her. She's, she's like, the, let's go eat. Let's get together. When can we have an eating? When can we have a feed? Can, when can you come over? Have a seat. Let's talk. We can stay up all night. I'm not going to sleep. She's like me. <laughs> Brother Dennis shaking his head because he's like Robin. He's like, okay, that's enough now. God bless you. Y'all go home. <laughs> but it's important to know these gifts. Why? Because we can use these gifts, and there are a lot of people that, are, that don't have a lot of family, that don't have a lot of extended family, and when they come into a new body of believers and they're new to Christianity, they need somebody to reach out and say, hey, come on over. You'll notice those people because they have people staying with them in their house and all, all sorts of stuff. Why? Because they, that's who they are. People who do not, ha- uh, they don't have a lot of family locally can benefit from that. And it's important for us to do that. Pull up Hebrews chapter 13, 1 through 2. Some of us may want to get rid of people too early, but let's read what Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 through 2 says. This is important for us, guys, if you'll pull that up. Let's read. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by those doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Matthew 25, it says, they said, he said, I was in prison and you didn't come to visit me. I was sick and you didn't do this for me. And they said, Lord, when do we do these things? And he said, when you did it to the least of mine, you've done it to me. You never know. We've seen plenty of times in accounts in the Bible where people were entertaining people, Abraham, and did not know that they were angels. You never know who you're helping. It's important for us to exercise and work on this gift. Now, that says John chapter 10, 38 on that next example, but that's really going to be uh, Luke 10 and 38. But I want to go to Acts 16 and 15. I want us to read these things. I want us to become students of the word. That's how we really grow. Acts 16 and 15, let's read that. When she and members of our household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at our house for she persuaded us. Lydia was able to help propagate the gospel and move the gospel because as Paul and the other disciples were spreading the gospel, they needed bases of operation. People who uh, have this gift probably can help people who have a missionary gift and they're just in town to do some missionary work and they don't really have a place to lay their head. Somebody with the gift of hospitality can say, hey, you can stay here for a little while. But you have to be careful with uh, those because they do have blind spots because those people can become dependent on gatherings and crowds and might not enjoy the occasions, uh, occasional blessings of solitude and may be subject to people who will take advantage of their hospitality. If you have this gift, you, be, you can be very careful because guess what? People will do whatever you let them to do and they will quickly take advantage of you. So you have to be careful when you have this gift that you help people but allow so uh, be spirit-led that you show hospitality to those whom the Lord is leading you to do that. And set boundaries. Everybody set boundaries. Yeah, we can have a party, but it's going to be once a month. Uh, uh, Sister Pat, so Brother Denny doesn't, doesn't put you out the house. I'm just messing with Sister Pat because I know she, she's light, light and area. Yeah, you can, you can stay with us in our home, but you got to follow these rules. And, and if you do this, and by this time you need to be gone and this and that. Why? Because if not, you're hospitable and you can't say no and you end up in a what? Bad situation. Amen? Best places to plug in. Small group studies. If you want to start a small Bible study at your home, these people can host while somebody else may have the gift of teaching and can teach the Bible study, but they can't, they're not good teachers, but they can hold Bible studies in their home. 
um, to do things like that, or hosting fellowship and planning. I ask you this question. Do you get excited about planning get-togethers and entertaining people? Are you concerned during holidays about people who have no place to go? We benefit from this. We're about to do the men's breakfast, and I found out very quickly that outside of myself, most of the men they don't cook. <laughs> and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But, but, and Brother Dave wouldn't mind me saying, I said, Brother Dave, can you cook something? He said, I will, but you might not want to eat it. <laughs> but guess what? Thank God we have some people with the gift of helps and hospitality that are willing to help the men so we can have our men's breakfast. It'd be kind of hard to have a breakfast with no food. So we're thankful <laughs> for those people who have what? Those gifts. You make a difference. Everybody can clean up, but everybody won't. <laughs> How about that? So we see these leadership things. We're going, um, we're going to the other ones. We're actually going to the last one for today, and we're in what's called the serving gifts. They're what you call serving gifts, where people serve. They're what you call speaking gifts. You see me using one of those, or and they're what you call the miraculous or the power gifts that most people are attracted to and tend to know the most. Right now, we're starting with service because that's the best place. Jesus said, those of you who must become great must first become a what? Servant. That number four, everybody say, discerning of spirit. I put discernment on there, and then I thought to change that because most people use discernment in the wrong way. They use it to be sneaky, abusive, and judgmental to people and say, I discern this, or if you're, or, 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 it's even spouses will abuse that. You got a demon and you you got the devil in you, and that that's not a discerning spirit. That's a difference in your personality and your preference, and you're trying to use God to manipulate people. God is not pleased with that, but people will do that. They'll try to say, I discern this and this, and they'll use that for a spirit of control. But discerning with spirits is very different. The, the gift of discernment of spirits is the ability to clearly see and distinguish between divine or satanic origins and intent behind the culture, beliefs, agendas, and behaviors of people. In other words, they don't just look at stuff on face value. They don't look at the natural thing, but they look at the spirit behind things. They tend to be slow to attack people because when they look at people, they don't, they don't attack people in politics. They look and they go to Ephesians 6 and they say, well, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual, the rulers of spiritual wickedness in high places. They begin to see the spirit things behind turning the realm. These are people that are very important because they pay attention more to the spiritual than the physical and they are quick to be able to recognize biblical truth from error and that is important in today's church because the, there is a huge illiteracy in the body of Christ and unfortunately it's the biggest part of it is in the pulpit. And because the pulpits are biblically illiterate the churches have no point or purpose but to be biblically illiterate. So you have a bunch of people that are jumping and shouting with tons of emotion, but they have no training or teaching. And it's because their pastor is not knocking those pastors. There's nothing wrong with being charismatic, but we have a lot of people following charismatic, charismatic personalities, and they're not growing because there's no real teaching, and they can't give you anything that they don't what? Have. There are people that will leave good Bible teaching churches that will take the time to do stuff like this, and they'll say, I'm going there because... The worship is just so much better. What they're doing and saying is translation is, I like entertainment and I like music, 
and the music sounds better, and I like the concert sound, and I'm not really interested in growing spiritually. I know you teach better than he does, but I feel better and comfortable in this, in this situation. And unfortunately, we have a lot of churches that have gotten so far into the entertainment spectrum that their people aren't growing, but they're under pressure to get butts in seats because guess what? The church has a financial arm, too, and they're scared that people, if I tell people the truth or teach people what's right, guess what? People won't show up. People won't give. And if I don't give them what they want, they're not going to stay and be committed. They're just going to go down to the church down the street that is doing it. Let me let me give a disclaimer. There's nothing wrong with lights. There's nothing wrong with smoke and fogs. Brother Dave been chomping it a bit for two years to pull that fog and seeing out on the stage just to see if we can get a reaction. All that stuff is good. Good music is great, but at the same time, it's important that we have good teaching. We should be just as excited as we are when I'm up here jumping up and down on the stage and, and, and being all undignified is right now when I'm just talking in a normal voice and teaching because this teaching is meat to help me understand who I am and the body of Christ. Amen? And we can often tell our spiritual maturity by our, our attention span. If you're bored already, you need to be in, 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 in teaching like this because this helps us to grow, we need to build up a healthy affinity for the word of God again because I fear in our churches across America, we have become entertainment-based. That's not judging all churches. There are some really good churches out there, small and large. It has nothing to do with the size of the church, but many of us are entertainment-based, and we're not growing because we don't have what? Discernment. There are many people sitting in ministries they shouldn't be sitting under and that are teaching things that are not biblical or biblical-centric, but they can't discern it because nobody with a spirit of discernment is in that building to say this is false doctrine and this is false teaching. So there's a lot of people doing a lot of crazy stuff, and the church gets a black eye because people are doing weird things all in the name of God. And we Pentecostal or uh, charismatic, we've seen that stuff. We've all seen people do really, really weird stuff that seems spiritual, but it's not very biblical. And they did it because there was nobody with a spirit of discernment to, to let's say, I love you, but have a seat. And we go and we have people trying things and they don't wonder why they don't work. And they say, well, you got to speak those things as not as though they were. Well, somebody who had the spirit of discernment said that was talking about God, not you. That's new age and modernism. You can't speak things into existence. You can pray and maybe God will bring something from the heavenly realm into the earth realm. But you can't speak things into existence. You can't name it and claim it. You can't blab it and grab it. You can agree with God and pray through fair and through prayer, and if he wants to give it to you, he will. If he don't, he won't. And a lot of people are confused because they don't have sound doctrine and sound theology, and I just messed up somebody's theology right then. But Timothy says, in the last days, men will heap unto themselves people who tell them what they're what? Itching ears want to hear. If I'm broke, I want you to tell me that my season is coming and I'm about to be blessed. And if I give you $5,000, God's going to turn my situation around. And I'm coming out. I'm coming out and I'm going to jump and I'm going to shout. And I'm going to leave out of here just the same way as I, as I left. Because I didn't take the real Bible and apply biblical principles. I allow people and music to get me excited and emotional about stuff. It's okay to have emotional, but we need to temper sometimes our emotion in the church. Why? Because we can become so emotional that we cease to be biblical. Amen, sire. You see this in churches. Now, today, we had a very emotional exp uh, uh, exhortation today. People, emotions were high. The spirit was moving heavy and, and things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you finish shouting, you need to teach. 
you can't have all chocolate pie and not have any green beans. You're not going to grow. You'll feel good. Your teeth going to rot out. <laughs> but you need some growing and some teaching. That's why this is one of my passions and loves is to teach people because when you teach people, lives will change. You can't be accountable to things if you don't know them. And let's be honest, a lot of us, people don't tend to study the word like they should. That's why I gave you this so you can take it home so you can't say I can't remember. You can write this down. And there are other scriptures that we're not even going over. I'm challenging you to study these things. This is what a shepherd does. He gives you stuff that you can feed on across the week, not just get your ears tickled and come back next week with the same problem to work out your own what? Salvation with fear and trembling. This is good. This is not a gift of discerning natural, but it is rather a gift of discerning the spiritual. This is not telling an adversary that they are possessed by the devil. If people are always walking around telling you you got a devil in you, that might be because they got a devil in them. But you can't say me. Ain't nobody in here ever done that to me, so I don't think we have those people. But you do always have these people that are quick to tell everybody that they, they Satan spawn and they got the devil in them and they got these spirits and they need to be prayed for. And that's a prime indicator that that's probably them. Or they have insecurity and they're using that as manipulation and control to lash out at people and try to hurt people, and that is not coming from a healthy place. But somebody who can recognize that something's happening in the church and the spirit is not there, those people generally aren't loud and they aren't aggressive. They are simply, they can, they can notice moves of the spirit, and you'll see them drop to their head in prayer. Sometimes you'll see people, and you have to be, a, you should pray for a spirit of discernment. Why? Or a discernment of spirits. You know why? Because a lot of times we're trying to fix the, the, the symptom and not the problem, this person's acting crazy and all this, and we just keep saying, well, they just crazy. No, sometimes there are some spiritual things going on behind the scene that people have to have a supernatural sense that God can sense what's going on and begin to pray. Let's see who's blessed by this. And we have to be careful because of this, because if you don't, you're easily fooled by the enemy. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15. This is our last one for the day, so I, I want to take some time on this. Somebody called me earlier and told me that this was important. I didn't know it, but they're sending this thing out to people in other countries and things. And we're grateful if you're watching this today. We love you and welcome to the family. So I'm going to take my time with this. Let's read this. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15. Let's read what it says. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. The devil doesn't come with pitch tails and forks, forky tails. The devil comes looking like a nice, innocent person. The devil comes with truth and error. You won't surely die. Yeah, you might not die right now, but your spirit's going to die, and I'm gonna, you're going to get put out of the garden. He'll give you just enough truth to get you hooked and then slide error right underneath. So it's very hard a lot of times to see false preachers and false prophets. Why? Because they sound like they make what? Good sense. That's why it's important that you say, study to show thyself what? Approved, a workman being not being able to make, be able to shame, being able to what? Rightly divide the word of truth, which means that if you can rightly divide it, you can what? 
wrongly divided. So biblical literacy, everybody said biblical literacy. It's important that you know the Bible, especially these little babies. I want these little babies to know more of the word of God and everything else. It's good to do plays and all the stuff. And we got Terry, and she does great things. But what I'm, what I'm impressed is when I walk to somebody and they give me the word of God and spit it back to me verbatim, that we're putting something in them that's going to last, that we have both experience and we have both knowledge. And they're doing a good job of that. I'm thankful for that. But the most things we need to do and put in our children is the word of what? God. Somebody probably thinking in their mind, when are you going to start hollering? Not today. <laughs> Let's look at uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 6. You can go back and read some of those other ones. I'm not going to give them to you. I'm going to give you homework. Ephesians chapter 6 around verse 14. This is why it's important to see those types of things. But I'm going to tell you what the who the benefactors are. Let's go. Verse 14. Stand firm, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. You can read it with me if you like. Keep going. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the arrows of the evil one. In other words, Satan's at work whether you know it or not. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the what? Word of God. If you are not in this word, you are, you are walking around in the middle of a war with no gun and no, no armor. This is the only thing you can fight the devil with. You have issues in your life. You have struggles in your life. Get the word down on the inside of you, and it will transform you. Verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Uh, always keep praying for all the Lord's people. It's important for us to, to, to get those in. That's enough, guys. Thank you. And I, I wanted you to see that, that Satan's always at work. He's always trying false doctrine. But we need to, before we try to go save the world, we need to make sure we're doing that in our churches first, our local churches. Doctrine is not a bad word. It can be when people get stuck in doctrine and dogma and won't let the Spirit of God move their heart. But there are some foundational truths in the Word that every believer needs to what? No. Who's blessed by this? The body is blessed. When, when the agenda of the enemy is identified and is exposed, behaviors. These are generally people who are lovers of the Word, biblical truth, and able to point out falseness and pinpoint false teaching. They're keenly aware of spiritual over and undertones. In other words, they don't just look at stuff on its face and face value. They look to see what's happening behind the scenes. Those are the four we wrestle not against flesh and blood people. Now, blind spots is important for these people because they can be susceptible to becoming overly judgmental, suspicious, and overly critical. Always criticizing people are saying, you know what your problem is, or thus says the Lord, or things like that. And I'm grateful that we have a, a wonderful church, and we don't see many people with these blind spots. But those people can begin to use the, the gift of discernment to try to uh, discern the spirits, to try to manipulate people and get them to do what they want them to do. That's why it's important that you have real discernment so people can say, sit down somewhere. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, sit down somewhere. That's a country colloquialism. <laughs> Best places to plug in are places that require sound biblical and spiritual decision, parental leadership, adolescent leadership. You may or may not know this, but after every sermon, I have several people, uh, is one in particular that I always go to, and I ask them to review my sermon and to come back to me and check me. Why? Because 
the Bible teaches us to be Bereans. Why? It's important that I'm giving you good food. And I want honest feedback. Why? Because we have to rightly divide the word of truth so that the body of Christ will be blessed. As we go through these things, and I, I'll ask you those last questions if I can find them. Ah, I actually got a, got a paper version today. So this is how you'll know. Do you get excited about doctrine and apologetics and biblical truth? Can you see misalignments between the culture, doctrines, and biblical truth? Can you see things happening in popular media and on TV and things, and you can see a spiritual undertone underneath those things? Are you keenly aware of spiritual overtones and undertones? The opposite of, of discernment would be witchcraft. And some people unknowingly practice witchcraft, thinking they were flowing in the spirit. Witchcraft is real. Witchcraft is demonic. There's so no such thing as a good witch. <laughs> and that stuff still exists, and it still functions, and it still flows. And, it, and if you are not a saved believer, those things can be powerful. There is demonic flowing, and you have to have the discernment of spirits to be able to know what's God and what's false. God can save anybody. God can help anybody. When I, when I had the benefit to, to go do some missionary work in Africa, I learned very quickly that witchcraft is very prevalent in a lot of places. We covered it up here, but it, it's working behind the scenes. As a matter of fact, it was amazing. I took my children to Barnes and Nobles after some kindness that was shown to my family and I. And, and uh, we went in, and I was looking for something, and they had one small section of what I was looking for. And my daughter said, Daddy, this book looks really attractive. It was, it, was, uh, it was gray, and it had nice gold letters on it. And she said, but it's a trick. Read what it says. And it was a Wiccan book. And they had a whole section, as long as this stage, 30 feet long, of nothing but witchcraft, spells, Wiccan, and all these other things. And people nowadays are into spirituality, and they're into a lot of other things. And they talk about energy and all these other things. And they deal with crafts and charms and stones and incantations. And those things are taking people to hell. And, and, but God is still able to deliver people from those things. And God is still able to save people out of those things. And it's especially, I did not know this in Michigan, but there is a witchcraft capital of the United States. And it's in Michigan. Did you know that? So it's very important for us to be aware of those things because there are powers in principalities. There are spiritual, spiritual darkness. Go back and look at Daniel. And the angel told Daniel, I would come to you, and I would have been here earlier, but the prince of Persia held me up. Who is the prince of Persia? Just like the Lord is the Lord of hosts or the Lord of heaven's armies, Satan has an army, and he has angels that sit over regions, and they rule spiritually darkly over those regions. That's what you see in Ephesians 6. The Bible refers to them to, as powers and principalities. That's what they are. They're demonic oppression over regions. That's what the Bible teaches. And if you don't, be careful and have people that have discerning of spirits to be able to do spiritual warfare in those issues. We keep fighting things, and you can't figure out why you can't get a hold on your child. You can't figure out why there's all sorts of wickedness that even the psychologist can't get rid of. You can't figure out why you can't get out of addiction or, or depression or these things. Some of those things can be clinical, but oftentimes those things are spiritual, and you need somebody with a discerning of spirit to fight for you in the spiritual realm and needs intercessors that can come around and say, we're not going to let this happen. Some of that happened this morning. God broke some chains this morning. Give it, lift your hand if God broke a chain for you this morning. God broke some chains. 
But you have to have enough spiritual insight to realize that as I began to try, and most of you probably noticed, I walked to this pulpit three or four times trying to preach, and God would not let me move. You have to be sensitive enough to the Spirit to say, it's not my time yet. The Lord is moving. Let God move because God is doing something in the unseen realm that I can't see in the seen realm, but they need this to be broken off of them before they'll ever receive what I ever have to say. You have to be spiritually in tune. Everybody's in the spirituality, but nobody's in the Jesus. But I've come to let you know, you can't be in the real spirituality unless you're in the Jesus. I'm in the spirituality that's called the Holy Spirit. And he gives power and gifts for the church. You don't have to be afraid of witchcraft and wicked and all those things when you're in the body of Christ. Because guess what? The Bible says Jesus told the disciples this. And people read this all the time, and they misinterpret this, and I'm going to let you go. And unfortunately, there are some people who misinterpreted the Bible. They was, Jesus said, I give you power to tread on scorpions and serpents and all these things of the enemy, and none of these will hurt you. And, and, and people begin to run around grabbing snakes and, and poisoning snakes, saying, if God's with me, that, that's, that's false doctrine. They should have used discernment. If they read the whole chapter or the whole point, they realized that right before that, they came and said, even the demons are subject to us what does the bible equate satan to a dragon or a what serpent scorpions or demons so when you see that in the bible jesus is saying i'm giving you power over demonic authority if you rest and walk in me and none of them can hurt you we don't have to be scared of that stuff if you are a blood washed bought believer those things are subject to the power of jesus christ christ's blood has already won the victory and you can declare victory and in this church we're going to flow in the spirit of god and we're going to use our, our, our not just our biblical knowledge but we're going to lean on the Holy Spirit and the power to break down some stronghold that are holding back the city, that are holding back Detroit, that are holding back Michigan, that are holding back political systems. You keep fighting Republican or Democrat, and neither one of them is the problem. There are spiritual high places behind them pulling the string. It don't have nothing about, it had nothing to do with what you do at the ballot box. It has everything to do with what you're doing in your prayer closet. We've been fooled with the trick of the enemy to think that if I vote, vote Democrat or Republican, the world may change. And you got people fighting people. Mad at people because of how they vote. Fighting politicians and disliking these people. There are spirits at play behind those people. You're fighting the wrong enemy. There's a spirit of Molech. Molech was a spirit, uh, demonic oppression, where they, he said, cast not your children to Molech, where they would take kids and they would throw them in the fire. Molech, what we would call him today, the god of abortion. Go to Romans 1, and some of these agendas that we see out there now pressing, there are spiritual things behind them. Some may be psychological, but there are some spiritual things, and we need discernment. I don't know why I'm saying on this. Somebody must need to hear this. We need spiritual discernment so that we will know how to pray. Teach us how to pray, for we know not what to pray for. 
Discernment is a powerful tool to tear the bonds of the enemy. And I, I declare in the name of Jesus, I don't decree and declare anything that the word has not already decreed and declared. But I decree and clear, declare that if the son has set you free, that you are free indeed. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise if this has blessed you. As we finish today, I ask you to search your hearts and say what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. What's he saying to your heart and to your mind to take this and to study it and to pray over it and pray for me as I do these things. We want to make sure that we get you the best food possible. We go out for weeks. These things have been planned out for weeks, but we often are sensitive to the spirit on those things. We thank you for everything you do to make this church successful. We thank you for your prayers. We thank you for your generous giving. We thank you. Thank you for your support and, and learning your gifts and be ready to take that spiritual gifts test and work. God has worked amazingly in the church today. He, his spirit has moved, the, and, and the Holy Spirit is called the teacher. And a lot of times people think that the Holy Spirit only moves when people jump and shout. But he says, I will give you a helper. I will give you a helper and the what? Teacher. If you really want to see the spirit move, he's moving when teaching is happening. He's the teacher. He will give us what to say. He will lead us and guide us into all truth. Let's stand. As we leave today and Brother Dave comes, if you need something and you still haven't got it from the Lord, you can have that today. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. If you're listening on the sound of my voice online, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Give him your life today. Lord, we thank you for your word. Bless it, break it, multiply it. Feed us in Jesus' name.